Hey, what's going on, everybody? This your boy, Jarrell Mason, better known as J. Mason Sum, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those that know and give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. With me right now, I have a singer known as Mr. Voice, hailing from the Garden State, was signed to Biv 10. We're going to talk about Biv 10, Arista, all the musical acts coming from Garden City. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give a big round of applause and welcome to Beyond the Album Cover to Mr. Voice. Kali, Kali, thank you for coming on to Beyond the Album Cover, bro. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Man, no problem. So I appreciate you taking the time thank to you so much. come out. <laughs> that was a good, that's a good introduction, man. man. Appreciate that. Man, I tried to do my best impersonation of Donnie Simpson and those that came before me. So I did my homework by watching videos so religiously. <laughs> all right. All right. That's what it is. That's what it is. That's what it is. Well, you did a great job. You did a great job. Love the introduction. Yes, Love the introduction. Yes, sir. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate that. So let's just go ahead and jump right into it. Helen from the Garden State. Now, was music something that was born in you, or did you discover that later on in your formative years? Actually, you no. Know, I I come from a singing family. Um, on my mother's side, um, you know, her father, you know, which is my grandfather and his siblings, they was raised, you know, singing gospel music at a very, you know, in their family. It was a part of their their upbringing and i guess that passed on to me and you know as i you know got a little older i understood what gospel music was i heard my grandfather sing you know when i was younger hear my mom sing, my aunts and his and his brothers and sisters as well so i was raised singing gospel music at a very young age okay all right so the gospel music that you were steered in in your early years was it primarily the gospel choirs are the male quartets or both? Um, actually both. Actually both. Um, I never really like sung any sung in any type of quartet. I was raised on listening to quartet singers like the Mighty Clouds of Joy, um, Lumsy Sisters, you know what I'm saying, you know, of that particular name. But the choirs definitely um Thomas Whitfield, Milton Brunson, um Love Love Fellowship, Hezekiah, Hezekiah Walker, you know. The list goes on. I'm saying, let's go on. I was raised like listening to that type of music. You know what I'm saying? At a very, at a very young age, and also meter hymns, which my grandfather was definitely good at. Like he could do them meter hymns very well. So I was. That's how I really was introduced to gospel music. Listen to my grandfather sing all the time. So you know, he was really good at that. Real good at that. And his father, which is my great grandfather, who was, he was a preacher. You know what I'm saying? So you know. They was good at them do, doing them the meter hymns. And I guess it passed down from his father, from his father on down to like to me. Oh, <laughs> to so me. you got that gift. I, if that's what you want to call it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. If that's what you want to call it, yeah. I mean, it's it's a gift from God. So you know, um, you know, singing and musical attributes, their gifts were given from God, you know. So yeah, you can say that. Right, so you know all about that brown AMFM clock radio with the AM gospel station blaring on Sunday morning and going to the church service Absolutely. where you're probably not getting out to four to six and you're getting a big Absolutely. plate to hold you over between 11 a.m. worship service and four o'clock first Sunday service. Absolutely, absolutely. So I know all about those chicken dinners and them radio stations and stuff like that. So absolutely, I know church was pretty much all that I did as a kid, so. That's all I did at that time, yeah. Right, and for those of you that don't know, 
church in some parts of the country is an all-day experience. I'm telling you, all day. So bring your hard hat, bring your pillow, bring your blanket. You'll probably get in maybe nine for Sunday school, 11 o'clock worship service, maybe take an hour or two break, go in and have another meeting with the deacons, the mothers, usher board. Then you'll have a four o'clock or six o'clock Sunday service. And don't let it be Absolutely. when it's homecoming. Because when it's homecoming, Absolutely. it gets real out there in the church field, especially when they have that red and white picnic table cloth ready for you in the back. Or if you can't have a picnic table to put your food on, you're eating it off the hood of your car. Facts. Absolutely. Absolutely. And especially, you know, I was raised Baptist, so I know all about that, bro. All about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all about that. So, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. I come, yeah, I come from a preaching family myself. Dad's a pastor, and most of everybody on that side of the family's pastor. So, grew up listening to Jackson Seven Airs, Williams Brothers, pretty mm -hmm. much anything that was on either Blackberry or Malico was getting played at my dad's on my grandma's. Absolutely. So, you probably familiar with the um, Willie Nelson, Willie Nelson, and the um, Gospel Keynotes and all them too. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. <laughs> now, with you singing in church, did you um? get your start singing in the youth choir or when was it that you first discovered outside of family that man I can sing and I want to pursue this for a living um I guess when I was marking my grandfather um when I I think I think I was maybe like at the age of five five um you know or really music like my actual gospel song that I sung was mimicking my grandfather you know what I'm saying um because he's he used to take my brother and my cousin, you know, when my cousin would come up from Florida, uh, he would take us to the golf, like to the golf, like golf course. And he would play golf with like with his sons and people that he that he worked with. Cause my grandfather was a Mason, you know what I'm saying? So he did like he did hard work. So he would like, you know, basically, um, you know, when he's on the golf course, he would basically like sing, like I said, the gospel meter meter hands. And I used to ask him all the time. I used to call him Big. I mean, Big, what, what song? What song is that? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, what's, what song is that? He's like, oh, that, boy, that's just a meter song. You, you don't know about that. So when I heard him do this song, I mocked him. And he looked at me. He said, you don't know nothing about that, boy. You don't know about that. And that's when I started taking a shine to gospel music. And that's when I really started, like, you know, really knowing that I could sing and stuff like that. And I had a musical gift. Um, my uncle bought me a guitar at a very young age. I think it was like on my birthday. I think I was six. Um, uh, my mom or dad, before they got saved, like they were saved, but they were still living, you know, you know, living in the one foot in, one foot out at the time. Um, they used to play a lot of records like um, Al Green, Aretha Franklin, Teddy Pendergrass, um, The Emotions, um, Jacksons, and you know, they was, those records were played all the time in my household. So. I think they knew at a very young age that I caught on quick, but I caught on quicker with gospel music because like I said, my grandfather was always singing all the time. So I would just mark him all the time. I used to just mock him all the time. Like, you know, he, he'd be like, you know, just look at me like I'm crazy, you know what I'm saying? So, and as I got older, I think I joined the choir, I think when I was like eight, singing in the youth choir. Um, I didn't join the mass choir until probably that was like maybe like, maybe like 11. But I will always sing with like the like with the little jewels, um, the youth choir, like of my church back in the day, um, you know, stuff like that, you know, singing in like certain like, you know, gospel workshops and stuff like that at a very young age. Everything was like, like very at a very young age. So right. So gospel, you know, 
So music, I, I started singing, like I said, like I said, I started singing, you know, at a very young age and I was always influenced, you know, with gospel music and, you know, that's pretty much what I was doing as a kid. So, mm. and that was so, it. That was right. It. Right. So you had a mix of listening to gospel, gospel and listening to the secular as well. How are you able to translate your skills, gospel singing over to secular, even though there are two distinct styles of singing when going from gospel, gospel to R&B? Well, um, actually, as I got a little older, um, singing, like, I, I, I was taught singing gospel music is, um, you know, you're spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what gospel music really is. So it was a ministry in my family that you, they had to take it serious. Like, you definitely had to be really, like, you know, taking that thing seriously. My mom, especially my mother, my father, they really didn't like me singing R&B music. You know, because they thought it was more of, how can I say it? It was of the world. <laughs> and, um, you know, my mother really never really wanted me to sing R&B music. You know what I'm saying? Neither, neither did my grandmother either. They didn't really want me doing R&B music at all. So, because they felt that, you know, God gave me a gift and that gift should be in the church and, you know, lifting up Jesus' name, you know, winning souls to Christ and everything. So, every time I was saying, it was ministry. But when I did, like, second stuff it was just a gig at the time you know what i'm saying it, for me it was just about like you know getting the girls you know what i'm saying when i realized i could really sing you know like and i can get a response you know it was because i wanted the attention from the females you know what i'm saying at a very young age when i realized i could do it really well i'm like i like this so it was basically about attention but when you're saying gospel it's about ministry it's about it's about winning souls for Christ. It's about teaching people about the news of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? His his story, his mission, what he was here set to do. And my family, or my, my family took that very seriously. So they looked at me to take that very seriously as well. So I couldn't really mix two all the time. You know, I was always in battle <laughs> doing both. So, you know. Right. It's serious business. It's serious business when you're talking to Jesus. So, you know. Yeah. That's definitely was brave. That that's definitely was like, you know, something in my household. That was very serious back. My parents are very religious, so you know, so <laughs> they're very religious. So, right, trust me, I understand. When I was with my dad on the summers, we used to have to sneak to watch Soul Train and BT. So yeah. I know all. I know all, all about that. Making sure you had your finger on that last button on that remote. Make sure TBN or INSP was on the TV. Facts, and honestly, to be honest, with you, my mom actually, my dad was more like it was. It, it was both. Like, I couldn't watch, like, the American Bandstand at the time, you know what I'm saying? I couldn't watch that. Um, they really didn't want me to watch, watch the Soul Train at the time. But, you know, but every Saturday morning, Soul Train was on, you know. So you watch it, you know, I was able to, like, see the Jackson, Teddy Pendergrass, and stuff like that. And, like, you know, we'll watch it for a little bit, then I'll turn it off, you know what I'm saying? And, like, you know, but I was always fixated on R&B music, you know what I'm saying? Because I, I really enjoyed listening to R&B music. I enjoyed listening to like, you know, male singers taking it to the next level, especially like Teddy Pendergrass and Marvin Gaye. Like I used to be, I was, oh man, I used to be in love with Teddy Pendergrass when he used to sing. I'm like, yo, I want to do that. I want to, I want to do that. Because he he commanded the audience, especially on video, when he was on Soul Train. Like them girls, the, the girls just look at him. And I'm like, yo, I want to do that. <laughs> and I'm like, boy, turn that off. You can't be watching that all the time. I'm like, oh, man. But, you know, I, I, we really couldn't watch too many um, secular things. No. 
because I did I guess they didn't want me being influenced by the world. So right. But as you know, it didn't it didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. Right. So what was it like for you when you first heard these two pioneering and influential male gospel groups, the Winans and Commission, where they took the vocal stylings of RB, meshed it with gospel, and gave gospel music a shot in the arm. Oh man, I was like, I was smitten with when the Winans came on the scene. Like um, they came on the scene. Um when they sung tomorrow, um, question, question is, that made me really want to like be a, like really like go hard. You know what I'm saying? Really go hard and understand what gospel music really is. You know, they made it, it wasn't like the traditional gospel music quartet singing that they were doing, especially commission. Like you knew that, you knew it was what it didn't sound like the traditional quartet singing. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, those types of, that type of sound. And I just felt like, to me, it, it it was like it made me want to really go like really hard with like like really go hard with the music, you know what I'm saying? Like really go hard and like learn more about you know my craft and understand gospel music and understand the art of of music, you know what I'm saying? And honestly, the wine is definitely, I think Marvin Wine is like he is definitely the template of like <laughs> male vocalists, straight up and down, gospel and secular, like. If you listen to a lot of singers today, you can hear a lot of influence from Marvin Winans. You know what I'm saying? Like, definitely RL. You know what I'm saying? He definitely got like Marvin Winans colors. You know what I'm saying? Um, who else? Um, Wanye. Wanye got, you know, colors from like, you know, Marvin Winans and Fred Hammond. Like, if you just study, if you study singers, KC too, like KC, KC and JoJo, they definitely were like big. You could hear the Winans all in them. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And right. that made me just wanted to get better. That just made me want to be better as a vocalist. So, you know, that was that was good for me. Right. That was now, good for me. Right. Now, did you end up doing the talent show circuit in high school? Cutting your teeth? Yeah, I have. I have. I have. Um, I entered into a talent show in my hometown in Lakewood, New Jersey. I think I'm little, maybe like 14, 15 at the time. Um, and I was singing in a talent show with a bunch of grown people, you know, and um, I knew that I was, I, I'm not going to say I was better than them, but I knew that, that I could compete with grown people because I was singing at a very young age. I was already pretty much a dance as a singer, you know, because I was singing a lot of, you know, I was singing, I was singing very young and um. And don't you, I, I, I think what really got me upset is that I lost. And the competition that I was competing with was like people that was like 30 years old, 40, 50 years old. And I'm like, I think I was the youngest one in, in that talent show. And, it, and I was so hurt and crushed, I didn't even place. So that made me really like, you know, work harder. You know what I'm saying? Cause I really wanted to be good at what I was doing. You know what I'm saying? And, that's what put me in, like, you know, in this, like, um, training mode. Like, you know, I, I wanted to learn everything. I wanted to learn everything about what it is to be a singer, what it was to be a, a great male vocalist, um, what 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 it took to, like, be at a level where you could still be effective at my age. Because my voice at that time was, like, um, mature for my age. And I was, and I think that's why they placed me in that category with older people. And I was, like... Oh, come on, man. Like, you know, I'm I, like, you would think, you know, that they would give me a pass because my age, but they didn't do that. But that was God just preparing me. 
just prepared me for something greater. And, and it helped me because it put a barrier in my back to be better. Because, like, you know, I would listen to, like, I would, I would listen to, like, all the oldies. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like like I said, Marvin Gaye, Sam Cooke, Donnie Hathaway, Stevie Wonder. Um, and at that time, you know what I'm saying, I was definitely big in, I was definitely big on new editions. So I would listen to a lot of those secular records and try to incorporate it with the sound that I had as a kid, you know. And I thought I, thought I did good, but... I don't think I did good enough to like beat those guys that were beat that that was in front of me. You know what I'm saying? I was like, you know, it's all good. I mean, I did. I you know, I think I think I cried. I think I think I think I cried after that too. I, I think I cried. I was I was crushed. I said, nah, this ain't never gonna happen. This ain't never gonna happen again. So you know, that's when I put my hat into the ring and like, listen, I'm definitely gonna get this recording contract before I graduate high school. You know what I'm saying? I'm definitely gonna get this recording contract again. I'm going to sing every gospel song. I'm going to sing every R&B song. I'm going to be in everybody's face, you know what I'm saying, until they can't, until they can't get on my nerves, until, until, until I get on their nerves, you know what I'm saying? But I wanted to be better. And I, that really pushed me to be better. So so you wanted all the smoke? Yeah. I wanted it all. I, it didn't matter to me because at that time, you know what I'm saying, um, I mean, there were some great singers that was around my way too. You know, there was a lot of great singers. Um, but I just, I just knew I wanted it more. I wanted it more, you know what I'm saying? So I, I stayed in a lot of churches. I stayed in a lot of workshops. I constantly would like be at home, like, you know what I'm saying? Um, listening to the radio late at night when my dad and mom tell me to turn off the radio, I had the headphones just listening. You know what I'm saying? Um, listening to all type of gospel artists, especially like I said, whinings and commission at that time, you know what I'm saying? I would listen to so many Daryl Coley. Um, I'll listen to a lot of people, man, to like, you know, formulate my sound and how I want to be. You know what I'm saying? And I, you know, I just kept, I just kept practicing, man. I, just, I wanted it. I, I wanted it. I wanted it. I wanted it. <laughs> I wanted it. Yeah. You got to have that hunger and you definitely cannot give up when you're on that journey, because once you get there, you appreciate the ride because you put in the work, you grind it. And you mentioned new edition earlier and that beautifully segues to my next question. How did you end up getting signed to Biv 10? Was it where you personally passed your demo to Mike or someone within Mike's camp? passed the demo and he heard it. So how did you end up coming to the attention of Michael Bivens? Well, how I met Mike was through my high school friend named Mark Echo. Um, he and I were like similar, like, you know, kids from Lakewood. He's a, you know, if you heard about Mark Echo, he's like, you know, he, you know, he had his own clothing line at the time, Echo Unlimited. Um, he's the founder of Complex Media, um, the magazines that you see today. Um, that you see and read about. And um, we were childhood friends. Like, you know, he was Jewish and I was black. You know, I was Jewish and black kid. You know, we we had, we had you know, we had similar, you know, dreams that we, what we wanted to do. And um, and he was, at the time, he was doing like this airbrush, like, you know, graffiti stuff, like with jackets and clothes and that particular nature. So um, I think one day I went over to his house and I think we was watching video. So, and um. That's when Michael Bivens introduced ABC and Boys to Men to the world. And Mark said, well, you could do the same exact thing. And, and matter of fact, that was a year later. I think it was a year. Yeah, it was a year later after I lost that talent show. And Mark said, you could do the same exact thing, man. Like, you could do the same exact thing that Boys and Men did. You know, go behind, you know, go to a show and sing for them and, and you'll get on. I am nah, man, I ain't doing nothing like that. I was like, he, he ain't thinking about me like that. But I was a big new edition fan. Anybody that knows me, I was a big new edition. 
Like I love the group New Edition. And, and I was already kind of scared anyway, too, because like, you know, New Edition was very, they had a very big part of my life, you know what I'm saying? Because as a kid, um, a lot of kids used to tease me because of, of my name, you know, and the way I looked and stuff like that. And, and because I was artsy, you know what I'm saying? I was, you know, I was, you know, gifted in the music and stuff like that. So um, I would just cry sometimes in my room with just a new edition all the time. You know what I'm saying? The cool Now, um, Candy Girl, um, all their classic records, you know what I'm saying? That music that got me through. So when Mark brought it to my attention, like, we could do that. I'm like, man, I ain't doing that. So it was a show that was in the summertime that BBD, this one BD, BBD was hot at the time. They was on the tour with CNC Music Factory, MTB sponsored CNC Music Factory, uh, Tony, 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 and BBD was a headlining act. And so Mark said, well, I'm gonna do the jacket for bed. So he did an airbrush jacket for Mike. He said, and when I do the jacket, you can do a demo tape. I'm like, man, I can't do no demo tape, man. I don't even know, I don't know the first thing about, like I've been in the studio before, like that, but I didn't know how to make a tape. So I just sung a tape in my parents' house. I think it was, um, I think I was singing, um, I think I did a song that I did in the studio, a group that I used to sing with back in high school. And then I sung an acapella song of God on the tape. And we had an idea of just pitching the idea of him going backstage with his sister and everybody. Cause we have front row seats to the concert and give him the jacket and stuff like that. And, and Mark at the time was sick, so he didn't go to the concert. I went with his sister. So she gave him the jacket, front row, boom. The next day he called, I think he called Mark. I think he called Mark to thank him for the jacket. So he said that he would be at Sheraton, you know, in, I believe it was in um, Ocean in New Jersey at the time, Ocean. I think it was Ocean or Town, one of the two, but it was a Sheraton hotel. They was gonna be there staying. So Mark told me, you know what I'm saying? Let's go, let's go to the Sheraton and, and you gonna sing for Mike. And I'm like, nah, man, I'm not doing that. I said, he said, nah, this is the time, man. It's the time, it's the time, you know what I'm saying? I'm gonna get on with my, with my airbrush stuff and you gonna get on it, you know, with um with your with your music and stuff. I said, okay, man, if you think it's gonna work, I'm gonna I'm do it, you know what I'm saying? You know, cause I already put the demo tape in the jacket of the concert of the night, of the night before. So Mark and I took his mom's car. We went up to the Shanton Hotel. And Mark was like, he, he was more outgoing, like, yo, Ben, did you get the jacket? It's Mark Echo. It's Mark. He said, yeah, I got the jacket. Why are you kidding? This is exactly what Mike, why are you kidding? You know, because they just come, because they did a two-night tour. So, it, like, I guess they was already tired. So, um, what did you listen to the demo? He said, what demo tape? Of my boy, Kali. Now I ain't listen to that tape. Then Mark said, go ahead and sing me, boom. So I, I started singing. And I think it was Ricky and Ronnie. Ronnie, that was Ricky, Mike's bodyguards, and the hotel security, everybody stopped. And they listened to me sing. And then the song I sung was, Let's Chill by God. And he said, how long have I been singing? Um, who was my influence? I told him it was them and, and many others. Um, who was my favorite vocals? I told him Sam Cook, you know, Johnny Hathaway, people Bryson, you know, Johnny Gill. Like, you know, I was telling him who my influence was. He said, All right, man, well, I'm going to call you next week. I'm like, oh, I'm ready. He's not going to call me. He's not, not going to call. He didn't even call next week. He called two days afterwards. 
So he said, y'all want to sign to my production company. And I'm about to form this thing called the East Coast Family. And I want you to be a part of the group. You know what I'm saying? You know, um, I have some other singers that I feel that you can help in the group. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm doing a different group too. And that group was consist of Yvette Brown, who we all know who she's definitely been like on, a, I guess she's an actress now and she's doing her thing, Yvette Brown. Um, Hayden Hyde, um, he's from Ohio as well. Great, great vocalist and Big Ant, you know, one of his, um, you know, stylists and singers that he had signing and the group was gonna be called different, but we was all gonna do our own solo ventures outside of the group as well. And Mike just decided like, you know, I think this would be a good thing for all y'all and you're gonna be a part of the East Coast family and welcome to the family. That's how I got my introduce, my introduction to the um, music industry. Man, that's crazy. So that goes to show people, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. You got to have your moment practicing so that when that opportunity presents itself, you can just walk right on in through the door. And it sounded like early on, Biv was building a profile for you, knowing your influences so you can try to figure out what style would work for you. Right. And he had the mindset of the new edition philosophy where I'm going to have you all in a group, then splinter off into solo acts, which would benefit the whole, which is the group. Yeah, I think that's, I think that, that was, I think that was his, his vision, you know, and um, I believe it could have worked, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, um, honestly, I didn't care. As long as I got on, that's all I, I cared about at the time. You know what I'm saying? I was 16 going on 17 years old. So I was like, I had a plan. So, you know what I'm saying? So it didn't really matter to me. As long as I got to the door, you know, I was thankful and I was happy. And I was, I think I was like, you know, I think I was the only one from my city that, ever did it like that. Cause you know, cause other singers and musicians did it differently. Like Bruce Springsteen, John Bon Jovi, like, you know, certain people like in the, like in the Jersey area, they had different stories. But I think I, I think I was like the first one to ever do it like that to go right to an iconic figure like Michael Bivens and get put on that way. So. Right. Cause so, I had, mind you, I had, I had no skill set when it came to like recording songs. I didn't know how to put a song together. All it was just straight raw talent. And you know, a guy get the talent, you know. So, mm. you know, I didn't have like I wasn't really I, I was schooled, but I really wasn't schooled like the rest of the artists were like, like the John Bon Jovi, the Bruce Springsteen, the Whitney Houstons. You know what I'm saying? They had, you know, they, they were they were being prepped to do that. Mm. You know, they had some guidance, they knew how to record songs, they knew how to sing with a bunch of people and things like that. I didn't have that, you know. I basically was singing in church, singing with a few gospel cats, you know what I'm saying, that I grew up with, um, that mentored me and stuff like that. Um, maybe, you know, the group that I was singing with when I was a kid in high school, and that was pretty much, that was pretty much my musical, like, you know, you know, groundwork, you know what I'm saying? I wasn't like really, I didn't have like a, like a plan. I didn't have a plan like the rest of the, the rest of the artists that I just made. You know, it was just God, it was a God moment. It, was just a, it definitely was a God moment for me, God mm -hmm. moment. Right. So what was it like for you once you got signed to Biv 10? You go from being a fan and being around these guys and just seeing Mike's vision and his business acumen for, you know, finding talent, marketing, and just being in the mix of that. I mean, I was starstruck, man. Um, mind you, um, being around him, knew the, actually being around, I, around him, Ronnie and Ricky, Bobby, Johnny Gill, I, I was around them a lot, you know what I'm saying? Because they was always around all the time. And um, 
I was like a kid in the candy store, man. I was like, and at the time, you got to stay. Everybody was hot at the time. Bobby was hot. Ralph was hot. Mike was hot because he just put out Voice Men and ABC, and then he just put on, he just put out Brains. Like, I was seeing everyone and anybody that was in the music industry that I never thought I would ever see. From celebrity basketball players, baseball players, actors, actresses. I saw pretty much everybody because everybody knew Mike. And he was loved by a lot of people in the industry and still is to this day. So it's like, um, I was I was a starstruck, man. And I was already, I had a big head at the time too, man, because I was with the group that consoled me at a very young age. I was around that. So God definitely gave me something that nobody else could ever have. Like to be put on by one of your childhood heroes, you couldn't tell me nothing, man. I was, man, I was, I was having the time of my life, man. I was having the time of my life, you understand? And and to, and to have the opportunity to talk to Johnny Gill, you know what I'm saying? Um, that was like, that was priceless. Um, Bobby Womack, I, I got a chance to see Bobby Womack. Um, who else? Um, I think I met Dr. Dre at the time, you know what I'm saying? Um, Teddy Riley. I met Teddy when Mike was doing work with Boyce and Men, because I think he was trying to get Bernard Bell at the time to work with Boyce and Men, but he ended up getting Dallas Austin, you know, from what was told to me, you know, and that's how Dallas Austin came into which was with um with the ABC project and Boyce and Men project. Like, you know, he was trying to get different people to give, you know, Boyce and Men and ABC a sound, but Dallas Austin, yeah, I met Dallas Austin as well. Um, I met a lot of people, man, through Mike, man. Met a lot of people, a lot of people. And I I, I was just enjoying the moment, just enjoying the moment. Yeah, I would enjoy it too. Make sure I tell the ladies, don't forget the pumps and your backstage pass. If you know the Heartbreak album, you know what I'm talking about. Fact though, yeah, 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 absolutely, man. So that was the blueprint, man. Like, you know, that album itself, like, you know, the Heartbreak album definitely put a barrier in my back, bro. You know, so just to have, if you could just imagine just being with somebody that you idolized for such a long time and you have the opportunity to sit down and be in the house with them and eat with them and play basketball with them. It's like, that was a childhood dream of mine, man. You know, if I didn't do anything else in life, the fact that I was with New Edition, that was it for me. And if anybody that knew me from my hometown and just growing up knew that I was the biggest New Edition fan. So mm. that was it for me. <laughs> that was it for me. Right. So you mentioned Bernard Bell earlier. Can we just talk about his impact in music, you know, with his work with Teddy Riley, and then, of course, his sister, Regina Bell, who is no slouch herself? Thanks. Um, I know Bernard. I, well, it's funny because, like, I met Bernard years before us being members at our church that we was at, that, that we was at now, you know what I'm saying? Because uh, we both go to the same church. And, but, but before, like, we was like brothers in Christ going to church. I met him through Mike, you know what I'm saying? And you know, he was like this musical genius from Jersey. Everybody wanted to be around Bernard. And I was like, you know what I'm saying? If I ever get a chance to work with Bernard, you know what I'm saying? That would be dope too, you know what I'm saying? But it didn't work out that way. But years later, when I decided to like, you know, you know, give my life back to love, to go, well, you know, get back into church and stuff like that. Um, when I moved further up North Jersey, you know, I was, you know, I just needed like I needed I needed to be a part of some type of um 
organized setting, another church, you know, where I can get spiritually fed. And the church I'm at now is called Community Baptist in Inglewood, New Jersey. And that's when I'm reconnected with Bernard, you know, and we were just talking about, you know, like he remembered me, I remember them. We talked about, you know, our, you know, our time in the music industry and stuff like that. And I don't act, to me, honestly, Bernard don't get enough respect. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was responsible for a lot of big records that a lot of people don't know. He wrote for High Five. He wrote for Guy. He wrote for Glenn Jones. And he definitely wrote for Michael Jackson. So, like, you know, he's definitely, like, a gem. And I always say that like, if I ever get a song without him and Teddy producing it, I'm out of here. That was my that was my mindset at the time. But, you know, it didn't work out that way. So it's all good. But Bernard is dope. He's like, he's a music, he's a musical prodigy. He's a, he's a, he definitely is a genius. Right. He's a genius. Definitely a genius that don't get enough credit. Now, I believe he was originally supposed to have been in today. This was before they got signed to MCA. That's a fact. Actually, they were signed to Motown. Know, and um, I think him and Bub were really tight. Well, they always said, but him and Bub had to relate to Big Bub. You know what I'm saying? Um, Bubba Lee Drayford. They were they they you know they grew up they kind of grew up together. But um, I think Teddy saw something in Bernard that was like undeniable. Like he saw more than just Bernard just being a part of the group. I don't know what happened, but I just know that he just started working with Teddy. You know what I'm saying? He was just doing pretty much everything with Teddy and like. When I figured out that it was him that wrote that song for High Five, I like by Tony, you know, by the late great Tony Thompson. I was like, yo, Bernard wrote that. I'm like, whoa. And then when I found out later on that he wrote Remember the Time, I was like, are you crazy? And if you get a hit record with the King of Pop, that's big. That's big. And he was like, he was that dude. He was that dude, man. You know, and I, I, you know, like I said, he don't get enough credit where credit is due. And also, too, later on in, in his in the years, he had an opportunity to work with Jaheim as well. So, you know, Jaheim is dope as well. He's a goddess, you know what I'm saying? You know, he pretty much gave Jaheim his sound as well. Mm. You know, so. But Bernard's the whole crowd. He a whole crowd. Right. Shout out to Bernard Bell. Yeah, definitely. Big, big shout outs to Bernard Bell. And uh, we mentioned some of the acts that came out of Jersey, like The Boss, Bruce Springsteen, Bon Jovi, Bernard Bell, Regina Bell, Big Bub, Riff, Redman, Naughty, Queen Latifah, Lords of the Underground. Did you feel that yeah. being from Jersey, that you have to have an extra something about yourself to prove? Because people in New York is looking at Jersey like, eh, that's Jersey. Yeah, that's definitely what that's definitely was that definitely was the um vibe. You know what I'm saying? Um, if you was from like, well, Inglewood, New Jersey is close to New York. You know what I'm saying? They like right by Harlem. You know what I'm saying? Um, but if you was like from South Jersey, Central Jersey, you know what I'm saying? They definitely looked at you like you're crazy because Bruce Springsteen, he's from Freehold, New Jersey. You know what I'm saying? I'm from Lakewood. I'm I'm originally from Lakewood, New Jersey. You know what I'm saying? And Bon Jovi, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, I think he's from Edison. So it's like, they look at you funny if you've like, from like South, like if you're further down, like going down like South. But they always used to think that Jersey didn't really have no dope singers and or, or, or no great musicians or, no, or great songwriters, but that's far from the truth. You know, John Bon Jovi is one of the biggest pop artists, pop acts in the game. Like, you know, at that time, the same thing with Bruce Springsteen, like he's a, he's a, le they're legends, you know? And, and forget about like you know um the, the contribution that Bruce Springsteen had at the time. Like he's responsible for a lot of great people, man. 
you know, the East Street Band, they, 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 it was a whole problem. You know, mm-hmm. when I you know that from what I know, you know what I'm saying? Um, like you, 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 you can never like count somebody's musical attributes out. It doesn't matter what part of Jersey you're from, you know what I'm saying? If you got it, you got it, you know what I'm saying? And I think, you know, they never really gave like people that live, live, live further down, like down the shore, a lot of respect, you know? So when I got on, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I was like, I'm gonna change all that. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna change all that. But you know, it didn't happen the way I thought it would happen, but you know, but I'm thankful though. But like, like I said, I was one of the first to do it that way. Um, Bruce Springsteen was like one of the biggest artists of of all time, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, and John Bon Jovi as well. Like, you know, there's some there's some gems in South Jersey and Central Jersey. There's some right. gems, some gems. Right. You know, it was a lot of com- it was a lot of competitive a lot a lot of competitiveness with like South and Central Jersey, but up north, cats like, you know, because Whitney's from North. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're from North, you know, you definitely have to be singing. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, um. Cause that's where pretty much all the singers are in Newark. That's a fact. All the great musicians are like from like Jersey City, Inglewood, Teaneck, um, Patterson. You know, like the musicians, like like the musical part of it all. There's a lot of great musicians around that. And so if you was like on that type of time, you definitely had to bring it. You know what I'm saying? It was a lot of great musicians that come from up north, man. A lot of great musicians. Right. So, Right. It is what it is. Right. And I believe uh, Frankie Valley's from Jersey. Faith Evans from Jersey City. From, from Jersey. And then also, too, I believe Sugar Hill Records was based out of Jersey, too, right? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Um, Sylvia Robinson, she's from Inglewood. Absolutely. A legend, you know, saying, you know, you know God bless the dead. You know, Sylvia, you know, she's, matter of fact, she went to my church, too. Oh, wow. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Yeah. So, like, she, she went to the community as well. Um, I'm cool with her granddaughter, you know what I'm saying? I'm Leah Robinson and, you know, her, her sons and all that. So I know who they are. You know, they, they fly with me and I'm fly with them. Right. And I'm glad Sylvia Robinson is going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. So Facts. big ups. So if it wasn't for Facts. Sugar Hill Records, we wouldn't have commercial hip hop on wax. No if it wasn't Sugar for Hill her. Game, no nothing. That's a fact. And a lot of people don't know that. Like if it wasn't for her, none of this hip hop stuff be going on right now. That's a fact fact though do your research that's history that's yeah. facts jersey and that and that's funny because like you get you, everybody thought that hip-hop started out in the bronx and that's true but she like she was but she was the first label to launch hip-hop you feel me and that's from jersey so you know like can't be fronting on us right <laughs> can't front on jersey. definitely that a black woman in the 70s putting out commercial hip-hop yeah. went from sylvia and mickey love strange pillow talk to get in commercial hip hop, put on wax, and to do it in an era where there was hardly any woman that was running the label. That's a fact. They gave a lot of women grief back in those days. And they still kind of do to this day too, but back then, absolutely, especially black women on top of that too. That's a fact, definitely a fact. Right, so let's go ahead and let's jump forward. So when you did All For One, One For All, was that the first time that all the acts from Biv 10 Met each other, or did you all meet each other prior to the video shoot? Well, I met Yvette and Hayden. Um, well, first I met Yvette at the Apollo when Voice of Men and ABC was at the Apollo show. They was performing for the Apollo at that night, and Mike, and, you know, they was they was there. So I met Yvette. That was my first time meeting her in New York. 
And um, we kicked it off, you know, it was, it was love. And I think I met Ant. I think I met, I think I met Big Ant in New York as well too. Um, I met Hayden later. I think I met him when we went out to LA. When we had a Mike when Mike wanted us to all be at Johnny Gale's house for his birthday party, and that's when I met all the acts out there as well. You know what I'm saying? Um, as a matter of fact, I think Sudden Impact White guys they was at um, they was they was in New York too. I met them too, but I, we met, but we all met up pretty much at Johnny Gill's house for Johnny Gill's birthday party because Mike wanted us all to be there to celebrate Johnny's birthday party, and that's when I met Bobby Brown for the first time. You know what I'm saying um, Bobby, I didn't see Ralph. At the time, you know what I'm saying? But when I saw Bobby, I was like, whoa, this is Bob. Man. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was all in his glory, bro. You know what I'm saying? It was a lot of people there at Johnny's party. I think, I think, um, I think Senior Hall was there. Um, Senior Hall, Tim Hardaway at the time. It was a lot of celebrities at Mike, at, um, at Johnny's house, and he wanted all of us to be there. You know, and we all sung that night. You know, Boys and Men sung, I sung, Yvette sung, Hayden sung, um, Ant sung, you know, Boys and Men definitely sung, you know. So it was, it was a great song, Johnny Gill sung. Like, it was it was dope. It was dope, you know. I was nervous, too, that night, too, singing in front of all those people. So I was like, hey, well, I'm singing for all these people. So it was dope. It was dope. Yeah, definitely a, a dope moment and could definitely be a pressure breaker if you're not ready for it because you're in a room full of heavy hitters. And that's exactly at Johnny House. A lot of heavy hitters there. It was a lot, a lot of unsung, unsung hype that was there. Industry cats as well. Um, a lot of Motown art. I think matter of fact, MC Trouble, the late MC Trouble, she was there that night too. She was there. Um, she was at the, at the house. So um, it was dope, man. It was it was dope. You know, it was dope. And when we did the one for all song, we did that in Maryland. We recorded the song. And that was interesting in itself because, like, I was like, you know, because Mike wanted us to all write our parts, you know what I'm saying? And it was like, I was like, I mean, you know, like, you know, I was green around the gills now, you know, and, you, and you're nervous because you really don't, you know, you're nervous. So he just ended up asking, you know, I think all of us did something. It wasn't what Mike thought it would be. So he just told boys and men to write our verses. And that was it, you know. And that was it. Right. And that song became a big smash hit. So after that, were you kind of hoping like, hey, let's go into the studio so that we can start recording the album? And how did you find to buy yourself time while waiting for the next move? Well, um, I definitely thought I was the next up, the next one up. You know what I'm saying? Because, um, well, I felt in my mind that, you know, I was just as good as boys to men. You know what I'm saying at the time, you know, vocally wise, but I wasn't mentally ready. Um, because I was featured on the song twice. No other nobody art, no other artist was. So in my mind, I'm thinking that, you know, like I might be the next up, you know what I'm saying? But it didn't work out that way. So um Mike had us all, well, he had myself, Hayden, and Yvette. We was out in LA for a little while living with Ant began at the time, I guess, trying to get us to jail as a group. And as time went on, nothing materialized from that. And like, you know, we didn't, I don't know, it just didn't work out the way we thought it would, that we thought it would. So it is what it is. But but I constantly stayed like, you know, 
work sharpening my skills vocally, you know what I'm saying, as well as Hayden too. Hayden was Hayden was dope. Hayden, he is he's a great singer. You know, and so was Yvette. Yvette was a good singer as well, too. They it was a lot of great talent, but it just that it just didn't materialize the way that I thought it that we all thought it would. Right. Thanks, yeah. Right. And how were you able to pivot once things didn't go as planned with Biv 10? And then how did you find yourself in your next situation after Biv 10? Well, um, actually, um, I, I took a break for like a year because I was really hurt behind that. You know what I'm saying? Because Mike, you know, he, you know, he let us let, you know, let me go. Um, so I, I told Mark all about it and stuff like that. And, um, you know, he said, well, you know, just take a year off. You know what I'm saying? If you feel like you want to pursue it again, you know what I'm saying? Pursue your career, you know, come back and see him. You know what I'm saying? Listen, Mark already took off with his clothesline already, so he's doing very well. And um, um, he asked me, did I know MC Surge? I said, I know who Surge is, you know what I'm saying? Matter of fact, Surge was at Johnny Gill's house the day I sung at the birthday party, so he remembered me. You know, he was at, I met, you know, I met, I met Surge back then when he was at Johnny Gill's house when I was with Mike at the time. But um, I think he was working with Mark for promotion at the time, Surge. And if anybody who don't know who Search is, Search is um, MC Search is a, a white MC from Queens, and he was a part of a group called Third Base, and he was responsible for discovering Nas. Um, he put Nas on, you know, one of the greatest MCs of you know, of, of our generation. And at the time, Mark and Search had an agreement, like a business arrangement, for him when he was working, you know, working for Mark, you know, for Echo Unlimited. And I guess Mark told him my story and stuff like that. And Search remember who I was. Search said he wanted to take me on. And um, he said if he can't get me a deal within the next six months, he will just part ways. But um, at that time, you know what I'm saying, um, he shot me to Arista Records. And I knew Drew Dixon, who was an AR at Def Jam at the time. And he brought me to her. I remember that. And then I think she, I think she left Def Jam to go to Arista. But Drew always believed in me, as well as Search did too. So when she got her situation to ask records, she said um, she wanted me to sing for Clyde Davis. And Clyde, if any man who don't know who Clyde Davis is, he's like one of the biggest music moguls in our of our generation. Like he definitely had the soundtrack of our lives with Aretha Franklin, um, Bruce Springsteen, um, the Rhythmics, um, well, Brooks and Dunn, um, who I'm Kenny G, um, Carlos Santana, like, you know, he was, he was responsible for a lot of big artists at the time, you know what I'm saying? And she wanted me to sing for Clive Davis. So they sent up a meet for me to sing for Clive Davis in his office, and I was signed that same day. Wow. Off the, off the rip. Off the wow. rip. That's crazy, singing for the man with the golden ears. Now, if you have not read his autobiography or seen the documentary, check it out, because Clive Davis... He knows how to make acts an artist, but the one skill that he has that I don't think nobody else can beat him with is knowing how to pick songs from demos that are being shopped around. Because I believe when I was looking at the documentary for him, uh, he had played the demo of I Want to Dance with Somebody, and originally it mm -hmm. was intended for Olivia Newton-John, but he heard it was like, nah, that's right. That's Whitney. Give it to Whitney. That's, that's a fact. That's a fact. I mean, like, when I first met him, that's all he talked about was Aretha Franklin and Whitney Houston and Al Green. 
he talked about the big records. You know what I'm saying? What, how the song meets the artist and how the artist has to bring the song to life. And he always said, well, this is what I got from him. There's a song out there for everybody. Even if you're not the greatest vocalist, there's a song out there for everybody. And he told me the story about Barry Manilow. In the office, he said, Barry Manilow, as if anybody knows, Barry Manilow is like one of the greatest composers of our time. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, he's he's a, he's a definitely a musical genius. But at the time, matter of fact, um, Barry Manilow was on, was on the Arista. And he said that Barry Manilow was doing all his, his own music and stuff like that. He, you know, didn't have a hit. And I forgot what song it was, but Clive brought him a song that he heard that he thought that would be great for Barry Manilow. And when he played that song for him, Barry Manilow didn't want to, he didn't want to sing that song, but Clive made him sing it. And I think it, I, I, I think it's the song, I write the songs that make the whole world sing. I write the song that make the special thing. That song put him on. And when that song put him on, then it introduced him to all his other stuff, like his music is, you know, you have to have a song to set you up so the industry knows who you are as well as the as your audience. And I and when Clive told me that, I was like, whoa. So that's what Mike was talking about with Boys to Men with End of the Road, because they didn't want to sing End of the Road. You know, if they didn't sing that song, End of the Road, Boys and Men, they would not be that big group that they are today. That's a fact. You know, and it's a song like that for everybody. You know, it's a song, and Clyde definitely knew what a hit song was. He knew what a song was for an artist. Like he, he was, he's good at that. He's good at that. You know, I just wish he could have found me a good one. You know what I'm saying? But it's all good. Right, definitely a master at that. And then also, upon reading his autobiography, when he had Ray Parker, Ray Parker Jr. in radio signed to Arista, he had the idea of, hey, let's right. make R&B that's good for crossover. And let's work double markets, bite the apple twice. And he had that same formula with Whitney, of course, when she debuted in 85, smash crossover Facts. R&B pop record. And then we all know the story, what happened after that. To the moon. She went to the moon. Went to the moon. You know, so listen, all I could tell you was just that, you know, um, when you have a personality like that and a mogul like that, in your corner who is passionate about the music just just, just as much as you are, let them run with it. Let just sit back and let them and let them let them mold you. I, I think at the time, you know what I'm saying, um Clive is he's just a genius, man. He just a he like if he believes in you, if he truly believes in you, he's going all out for you. Going, he's going out, he's take, he's going all out for you. And he believed in Whitney that much. He believed in you know, Annie Lennox and what you said, Ray Parker Jr. and also Jermaine Jackson and Jermaine Jackson, that one of my greatest vocalists because he loved Jermaine Jackson. He thought that Jermaine was, I think what he told me, he said Jermaine is one of the underrated male vocalists of this generation because he was shot, you know, he, you know, he, was, he was overshadowed by Michael. But he said Jermaine is like a musical genius, man. He said Jermaine tone his and I always loved Jermaine's tone. I was like, yo, this dude is like amazing. Like, if you sit back and like listen to Jermaine Jackson sing, you're like, yo, he can really sing. Like, he's a he's a whole problem. Yep. He's a whole problem. Jermaine was a problem. And if it wasn't for Jermaine, we wouldn't have Switch. No, that's a fact. 
Absolutely. And also, not switch, also switch and the barge. Mm-hmm. Barge, That's... you could switch, you know, because um, Bobby DeBarge was the brother of L. DeBarge, you know? Mm-hmm. So he was a, he was instrumental in DeBarge getting that deal at Motown as well. Right. So Jermaine, like he had an ear. He had an ear. He had a good ear. A good ear, man. A good ear. Right. And you mentioned one trait that I don't think gets said enough when you're signed to a label. You got to have somebody that's going to be championing for you because if you don't have nobody at the label championing for you, nobody else is going to believe in you. And then especially come time when you may have a switch in label heads and they want to bring their own people, you're not going to have anybody when a new regime comes in to champion for you. So how big was it for you once you got signed to Arista to make sure that you had somebody in your corner? Oh man, it like I I mean Drew was in my corner and so was Serge, but it wasn't enough. You know what I'm saying? Like you really need that person that's really advocating for you. Cause like I think in my situation, I believe Clyde believed in me, but because I was a no-name artist and I didn't have a track record at the time. Yeah, he knew I was signed with Mike and stuff like that. He knew I was part of the East Coast family, but I wasn't priority, you know what I'm saying? And and what, I, what that means is that I didn't have a hit record like a voice to men or like a BBD or Johnny Gill or Ralph Tresman. I didn't have I didn't have that much of a track record. If I had a track record, it would have been more easy for me to like get that push from Clive. Because at the time, he was like, he had his hands with Deborah Cox, Monica. Um, he was trying to get Whitney's project off the ground again. Um, who else? I think it was Andrea Martin, you know, who passed away. Andrew Martin, like he had, he had a plethora of great artists at that time. Um, I forgot what the um, you know, um, Blue Cottrell, he just signed her. You know what I'm saying? Like he was into those female artists at the time, and also next, like he was, he had his hand in a lot of situations, and they already had a proven track record. And if you don't have a proven track record when you're signed to a major label, you definitely gonna get lost in the sauce. And even though Search was, you know, who he was, you know what I'm saying? He wasn't an R&B head, he wasn't a pop head, he was an MC, he was a hip hop artist, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. Drew at the time, you know what I'm saying? You know, she was pretty much working for the label, you know, she was making sure that the other, so like I was kind of lost in the sauce and everything, you know? so. You know, it's important to have that person champion for you, you know, and if you if you if you're signed to a major label and the label don't seize the vision in you, you will get dropped. <laughs> it's a fact. You will get dropped. And if you don't have somebody that's really being that champion for you, like really like, nah, don't do that. Let me put them with this person or let me put it with this person. You know what I'm saying? You're gonna definitely gonna you definitely gonna get lost in the sauce. So you definitely gotta have you got like listen, you definitely gotta have something of some type of power to have the label want, like buy into your vision. You know what I'm saying? And you know, the only thing that Clyde said to me, like, if you sing this song, you're out of here. But at the time, you know, he was taking certain producers off of my project, like Organized Noise, to help Andrea Martin. Um, Rodney Jerkins, who's from Jersey. I know Rodney very well. Dark Child, he took him, took him off my project to work with, you know, Monica and Deborah Cox, you know. So it was like, I didn't have a chance, you know what I'm saying? So 
And then Wyclef too. Like Wyclef was was supposed to have worked with me as well. He took him off the project to work with Whitney with the My Love thing, you know. And I also put Mad Fact. I was the same. I demoed the song with Lauren Hill that ended up was given to um CeeLo Brown. CeeLo, no, CeeLo Green. You know, CeeLo, everybody knows who CeeLo. He's part of the Goody Bob. He ended up doing a record with Lauren, with Lauren Hill for Carl Santana's project. I demoed that song. Do you like the way it's going down? So I demoed it right in Lauren Hill's house. You know what I'm saying? But it was given to CeeLo to sing instead of me. So wow. it's all good. Right. And, yeah. that was, and that was with uh, at the Booger Basement, right? When you demoed the song with Lauren Hill? Was that at Booger, Booger, Booger Basement? Absolutely. Absolutely. And she's a genius, too. She's a whole problem. Lauren Hill is a, is a whole problem. And she told me, she said, Kylie, she said, you, she said, you just one song away. She told me, she said, you are one song away from being out of here. You're just one song away. Just one song away. And I was like, really? She said, oh, yeah, absolutely. She, she said, you're just one song away, Kyle. Just one song away. Right. Now, like, did you know? It, right. Now, did you have any run-ins with Salam Remy or Vincent Huber in the Three Boys North? I met them a long time ago when I was on when I was with, when I was with Mike um, with Vincent Herbert and all them. You know what I'm saying? Um, I was supposed to work with them when I was on Big Ten. You know what I'm saying? I was supposed to have worked with them, but it didn't materialize to that. And when I found out that LaShawn Daniels was a part of that, you know what I'm saying? I didn't realize it. I'm like, I know all these cats, and these are all cats I grew up in church with. You know what I'm saying? But I didn't know LaShawn like person, but I knew who he was, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, I supposed to have worked with these cats a long time ago, but it didn't work out that way. But I ran across them though. Uh, matter of fact, I took a picture with Vincent Herbert and all them cats back in the day when I was a Big Ten. So, you know, I got it in my in my photo, photo gallery. So, you know, I know who they are. They know me very well. Right. Know me very well. Right. You, you mentioned Andrew Martin earlier, may she rest in peace, who I felt was criminally yeah. underrated as an artist. Her album, very, very dope. And I believe she wrote uh, You're the One for SWV along with other tracks for other artists. Absolutely. Um, her biggest record, if I'm not mistaken, was the one that she did with In Bold. What's it gonna be? There'll be some love making, heartbreaking, soul shaking. Yeah, she wrote that for them. Yeah, that was a big record. That was a big record. Mm. She's definitely underrated. She's definitely underrated. You know, um, I think she's one of the greatest. I, Clive used to always say that he he looked at her as the gladdest night of our generation. He mm. called her Gladdest Night. Right. You know, he called her Gladdest Night. Right. And then two female R&B singers, also prolific songwriters, too, that I don't think gets talked about enough. This person was the secret sauce to all the stuff Teddy and Bernard Bell did, Tammy Lucas, and then also Mary Brown. Oh, Mary, she's from Jersey, Mary Brown. Yeah. If you don't know Mary Brown, look up Abstract, look up Eminem. And mm -hmm. if you look at the guy's groovy video, there were the girls dancing in the background while Guy was on stage, I believe. That's right. That's right. Mary Brown. Mary Brown. Absolutely. And Tammy Lucas, um, she was, I, I'm not, if I, I don't want to like be, I don't want to assume, but I think she had a big hand in on the, um, that song that she did with Teddy and Heavy D. Is it good to you? Mm. I like is it good to yeah I think she wrote that I think yeah. she wrote that yeah she wrote that and then Heavy D put it out and then she put it out because I believe her version was on the soundtrack for Juice that's right 
when my love comes down. Yeah, she earthed that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's the whole she's the whole problem. I thought that she was gonna have a banging project at the time, but you know, this industry is funny, man. It, it's funny. Because she's definitely a she's definitely a very underrated singer. And I, if I'm not mistaken, also too, I think she also wrote that song with on the Black Street project too. Let's make tonight the night. Oh, let's I think, yeah, I think she wrote that with them with Chauncey Black. Yeah, I think so. Mm. I think so. Yeah, she's the whole problem, bro. She's a whole problem. A, a whole monster. Problem. Now, back to when you were singing on the gospel circuit, did you run across any future would-be stars while singing on the gospel circuit that later became household names? Oh, yeah. Um, I've actually I um I met Andre Crouch at a very young age. Sandra Crouch. Um, of course, I met um I met Commission, Fred Hammond at one time. Um had an opportunity to sing background for um, Hezekiah Walker. Um, who else? Hezekiah Walker. Um, who else? Yolanda Adams. Um, you know, just background stuff. But running into having like having like you know a conversation with and kicking it with, I had more of a conversation with Sicardi Cortez. Um, he was at the time one of my boys. His name is Anthony Miller. Um, he was playing for. I think he was playing for this gospel group out there in Jersey at the time. And I think he was playing back back up. He's a lead, he was playing keys for one of the gospel artists at the time. And James Fortune was out there. So um I had an opportunity before before Sicardi was who he is now, me and him chopped it a few times. Like, you know, I thought he was like, I just thought that he's like one of the he I think he was to me personally, he's the next generation of what gospel music is gonna be as male vocalist, you know what I'm saying? He's a whole problem. Zicardi is a whole problem. I met Lowell Pye before. Um, I had an opportunity to meet, um, who else? Um, uh, Kirby Brown, who used to sing with um, Love Fellowship with Hezekiah Walker. Um, I mean, I met a lot of people, like, you know, in the gospel circuit, you know what I'm saying? But, like, I just never really, like, I was never, like, you know, I, I'm going to say, in a, I'm not trying to say it in a bad way, but I just... It just wasn't my, like, I wasn't really, like, all, like, all, like, I was with New Edition, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, these are people that I came across with, you know, singing and stuff like that, and, you know, whatever, but, but I always said, I told Zicardi, I said, bro, you're going to be a whole problem. He said, you think so, Doc? I said, you're going to be a whole problem, bro. I said, I said, you definitely, like, you, like, one of the best male vocals I've heard in a long time. He can, he can do the regular, like, you know, runs, and he can give you that whole quartet-type feel. And he has that preacher's voice that you would never like. He takes you in, takes you in. He's he, he's he's definitely he's definitely a he's definitely a whole problem. He's a definitely a child prodigy. I like to see him in the next five years be like at like you know at a very high level in gospel music because he's definitely like he's definitely one song away. He's mm-hmm. definitely one song away of being right. one of the greatest of all. Right, and you mentioned you know with the industry, it's all about having somebody championing for you and having a hit record with a track record. It kind of, to me, has that feel kind of like pro wrestling where they choose who they want to put over. And if you're on the undercard and you don't have enough cachet, then it's pretty much hard for you to kind of sort of get your shot in when, like you said, if you're not bringing in the hits, you're low on the totem pole. That's a fact. Um, I think a lot of people don't really realize that. Like, if you don't have, if you don't have a hit record, you can forget it. You know what I'm saying? 
if you don't have that hit producer or songwriter in your stable, you can forget it. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, what you see now today and what you hear now today, you've seen a lot of self-contained music, mus musical artists, you know what I'm saying? Because music has changed, has changed dramatically from the 90s to now, in the mapping late 80s to now. And it's like, if you have a, if, if that AOA ain't bumping, you can forget it. And if you ain't got that DJ that, that you cool with now, or that mogul, so to say now, you're not getting on. You're not getting on. And I think that I think that's what's hurting music today. I don't think they're letting the music speak for itself now, you know. And and if you're not, like you just said, you know, if you're not in that circle, that niche, you know, that in crowd, you're not gonna get on. And if you're not doing certain things to get you there or scratching somebody's back, if you will, um, you're not getting no like, that's what any genre of music, and that's a whole fact, that's what gospel, that's what R&B, that's what pop, that's what hip hop, jazz, that's, it's called the music business. That's what it is, it's the music business. And you have to educate yourself on the music business. This business is based on relationships and who you know, and what you know determines how long you stay in the game. That's a fact. Right, and we all know about industry industry rule number four thousand and eighty. <laughs> and what is that? Record company people are even... shady. <laughs> it's the P five. I wanted you to say it. I wanted you to say it. <laughs> yeah, man, because all the years of interviewing the people that I've interviewed that've been in the business, it's definitely a business that'll chew you up and spit you out if you're not ready for it. And like you said, you got to know the business inside and out because if not, you're going to be having a bad deal and wondering like, hey, where's the rest of my advance? Or why do I owe this much money? And look, try right. to find a YouTube clip of Left Eye breaking down the contract because most mm -hmm. artists, when you get your first deal, you're going to get taken advantage of. You might as well whole get, that, get that out your yeah. mind. You're going to get taken advantage of. And when you build some cachet and say, okay, I got one to two platinum records in, maybe you can renegotiate that contract and say, hey, I want more favorable terms. But first time out, no. And I agree with that. You know, um, I, you know it, it took me a while to understand the game. And honestly, you have to, you have to know that you're going to get pinned. You know what I'm saying? You're going to get pinned. That's just what it is. But how long are you going to get pinned? You feel what I'm saying? So you have to make them believe in your vision. You know, the Bible tells them, like, you know, write the vision, make it plain. Mm -hmm. People perish without vision. You know what I'm saying? So, like, if you have a vision of who you are and you prove the label wrong, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you won't get taken advantage of. That's a whole fact. Not saying that it's a right, it's a right way to get, I mean, that it's, it makes it right, but you have to make them, you got to make them see it. You know what I'm saying? You got, and, and you got to prove that you are who you say you are. I think that's what made Tupac so great because like he had a bad contract too, from my understanding, for what I was told. But he made the label look at him differently every time because he went platinum, went platinum, went platinum before all the other crazy stuff. And like he made, they had to go back and renegotiate his contract. I think once you prove yourself, you have something to bargain. Because it's business, you know what I'm saying? And in this business, you're here to sell records. You're not here to, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, okay, you want to have integrity with your gift. That's fine. That's great. 
but you're in this industry to sell records. The label wants you to sell records. That's what you signed up for, to sell records. You know what I'm saying? And I, it took me a while to understand that. And it's the truth. Like, if you don't have nothing to sell the label, the label's not going to invest in you if you don't have nothing to sell. That's why you have to understand it's a contract that's bad. We understand that. But prove your worth. And once you prove your worth, then you can go back to the, the, to the table and renegotiate a better deal. And I think that's what happened with Boys to Men. They have, I'll put it like this, like, a production deal is not such a bad deal. It's a bad deal if you don't understand the terms of the deal. You know what I'm saying? If you sign a production contract and that production contract is in conjunction with the label, that production contract is basically a, like a contract saying, okay, we're taking a chance on you. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the label. Just to say I'm the label. I'm taking it to that label. I'm invested into you. You got to prove them wrong. You got to show them that we got to prove the label that we got to prove something to the label so they can give us some more money so you can have a better situation. And I think that's I think that's why Mike was the template for all that. Ben was the template for all that because he had a production deal with Boys and Men at ABC. And when Boys and Men did astronomical numbers, they had a they had they had something to bargain with after that. So once they bargained with Motown. To give them a better situation and to like depart from Mike, they just they just kept just they just kept they kept soaring they kept soaring. You have to prove your worth. You have to prove your worth. You have to prove your worth. You have to prove it. They say they fifty cent too. He proved his work. He proved his work. Right and proved like yeah, like we mentioned, the first contract you're gonna get done up no Vaseline style. But it's crazy to think with the contract that um Wu Tang had when they signed with where Reza had them all sign individual deals outside of the main label for the group and say, you're not going to own us. We're going to own ourselves and we're going to have each of us go to separate labels. And this is coming off of Reza when he was Prince Hakeem. He had a failed Mm -hmm. 12-inch single off Tommy Boy. And then I believe Jizza had released a record with Baby Come Do Me. And then they later reformed and came back with Wu-Tang. Right. I think with those type of situations that you know you have to you have to have a plan, and in this game you have to have a plan before you start, you know, asking for the world, so to say. Um, no one's gonna no one's gonna get behind you if you don't have a plan. That's why it's important to like know your worth, know your talent, educate yourself, and steady to show yourself approved when you come into this industry. Because if you come in here thinking that it's all about straight talent, and I'm gonna get on that way, and not educate yourself on other things about the business. Because there's, you know, there's visual, there's, you know, there's so many other things that go along with it. You know, what I'm saying that generates the sales. And if you go on tour as well, too, that's where you make most of your money is on tour. A lot of artists don't know that. That's why. You know, it's a, if you expect them to get all these dollars from the record sales, you're not gonna get that. You're not gonna right. get that. You make your money off of tours. You know what I'm saying? And you know, I just think that sometimes, you know, if you have an opportunity to like be that artist, that Beyonce, that Jay Z, Prince, Michael Jackson, Boyz II Men, if you want to call it, um, and you're fortunate enough to be, you know, a legend in this game. That's a blessing. 
but every artist not going to have that. You know, so you have to educate yourself about the business. Know that it is a business. You're here to sell records once you enter into this industry. It doesn't matter what form of music that you sing. You have to have something to bargain with, with the label so they can get behind you. And if you don't have nothing to bargain with, and they don't catch the vision, you just, you're just out of, you're out of luck. You're out of luck. Right. So it's always good to educate yourself. Right. And two big things. Own your stuff. And if you're a songwriter, keep your publishing. Don't trade it in for that $50,000 advance. Don't do that. Facts. Don't play yourself. Facts. Well, I look at it like this. You know what I'm saying? Um, if you really want to be great in this industry, you know, it's nothing wrong in writing your songs. That, that, that's definitely, that's writing songs or being a part of your production and stuff like that. That's great. But I do believe that there's a there's a song and, a produ- and there's a, there's producers and songwriters that can bring the best out in you too as well. You know what I'm saying? But you gotta be willing to work with other people because you're only good as your last hit. You know what I'm saying? So you have to educate yourself about and be willing to like you know think outside the box. Definitely be skilled in everything. You know with your craft, but don't be afraid to work with other artists. Don't be afraid to work with other producers. You know what I'm saying? Don't 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 be so tunnel vision where it's like it gotta be all about me, 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 me. Okay, that's cool. But if you want to win in this game, because it's a game of chance and it's a game of how can I say it? Um, it's a it's chess. You're playing chess. So that's just what it is. If you're trying to win, be acceptable to everything. Just don't be stuck to one one thing. You know. You know, there's acting, you know, there's television, there's um, commercials that you can still be doing. You could be building your brand, you know. And I think that's what that's what Yvette did. You know what I'm saying? She built her brand. You know what I'm saying? She built her brand. Tupac, um, Queen Latifah, Will Smith. They did other ventures, like build your brand. You know, just don't just be this type of artist, this recording artist, and just expect the label to do all this work for you. You know, the Bible definitely tells the faith without works is dead. You know what I'm saying? You got to work your faith. You got to meet people halfway. God ain't, God's not going to do it for you. You know what I'm saying? You got to put the work in too. You know what I'm saying? And just know that, yeah, you're going to get taken advantage of for a minute, but you're not going to be here always. You know, trouble don't last always. You know what I'm saying? Timothy Wright said it best. Trouble don't last always. You feel me? So you just got to just take it for what it is, man. Just take it for what it is. If you, if you want to win in this game, if you want to win in this game, right. call it entertainment because that's right. what it is, entertainment. Right, definitely invest in that talent and multiply that. Now, after Arista, was there a point where you were like, man, I'm done with the industry and I just want to just go off and do something else? Or were you still determined, like, hey, I'm going to make it in this industry no matter what? Oh, absolutely, bro. Um, I, at one time, I, I I looked at it like this. Um, everybody has a season, you know what I'm saying? You know, Ecclesiastes says it, but it's in the word. You know, everything, every there's a season and a time to every purpose under the under under heaven. That's a fact. We know that. I'm a man of faith. And that time, you know what I'm saying, when I was let go from Iris to, you know what I'm saying, I really wanted to get my spirituality together. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to get, I, I wanted to work on my faith, what kept me grounded, you know what I'm saying? Because um I felt like I went off the rail if that makes any sense. So I, I gave myself back to Christ, you know what I'm saying? Um, I'm a minister now, you know what I'm saying? So, um, but I still believe that 
there's I I do believe that there's something out there for me. You know what I'm saying? In the R&B field, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm an R&B cat all the way through. That's just what it is. That's who I am. Um, I believe that God don't make mistakes. So I had to go through some stuff in order to be a blessing to so many people. You know what I'm saying? Because this thing of music that, that God's given me, you know what I'm saying? He's given me, you know, he gave, he gave it to me. It's a gift that he gave it to me. And I just felt like I went off track because I think I forgot him in the process of everything because it's like, you know, I, I I lost myself. So I had to be humble, man. I had to be humble. Um, I had to regroup, you know, figure out what I wanted to do. And now I'm making some great records right now. Um, with my partner out there in Dayton, Ohio, named Tyrese, you know, Ty Jams. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I met him when I was on Arista because we, we was doing my album at the time. And he was signed to Stone Creek, you know what I'm saying, which is Boys and Men's label at the time. You know what I'm saying? So I did, when I was on Arista, I was recording most of my album in Boys and Men's studio out in Philadelphia. So um, you know, everything happens for a reason, man. Um, I had to get I had to get back into, you know, I had to get back to what made me who I was, you know what I'm saying? I had to seek God's kingdom, you know, understand who he was, you know, and understand my purpose, what my purpose is, you know, and you know, he chose me, you know, to do a work that can bring people to the kingdom, you know. By just being my stuff, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I can't be no Marvin Wine. I can't be no Fred Bannon. You know what I'm saying? I can't be Kirk Franklin. I have to be Kali. That's who I am. I'm Kali. You know what I'm saying? And I believe that there's a song, you know, by being just myself. You know what I'm saying? Will I do a gospel album? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I would like to. You know what I'm saying? You know, but I believe that, you know, God gave me more than just singing gospel or singing R&B. He gave me a voice to reach people. And my lifestyle and the way I conduct myself can win souls to Christ, you know what I'm saying? I'm a regular mo. I'm, a, I'm the everyday mo. you know what I'm saying? What you see is what you get. I'm not like a lot of these other people in the game that be faking, putting on airs, oh, I found Jesus now, and you know, because the industry did me. Now, the industry never did me wrong. It's just that I didn't, I didn't trust God enough to understand my purpose. You gotta find your purpose. You gotta understand your gift. You know what I'm saying? And know your place. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of a lot of artists today don't understand that. And a lot of people that's in church don't understand that. They don't know what their purpose is. You know, God didn't put me in Michael Bivens, you know, you know, radius for no reason. He didn't put me in front of Clyde Davis for no reason. He didn't introduce me to search and allow me to see boys and men, you know what I'm saying, and all these other great artists at the time, you know what I'm saying, you know. You know, Joshua and Caleb, there's a story in the Bible, you know what I'm saying? They, you know, they went in the land to see about the giants, you know what I'm saying? You know, because they wanted to take over the land, you know what I'm saying? You can't take over something until you see it, you know what I'm saying? Until you see it, you know, and you got to have, you got to have vision and you got to have purpose and you got to be inspired to do something bigger than what you think that you can't do. And I believe that, you know what I'm saying? When Joshua and Caleb saw the people and saw the land, he's like, yo, we can take we can take them, you know what I'm saying? You know, everything has a purpose and a time, you know what I'm saying? And the average man has four seasons, winter, spring, summer, and fall. But the man who walks by faith, he has another season, he has a due season. Galatians said it best, six, nine, let us not be weary and well doing for in due season, you shall reap if you faint not. Due season is the season, that's how I'm living. <laughs> straight right. like that 
Right. And you mentioned Stone Creek and recording your album at that studio. Did you have any run-ins with uh, Uncle Sam? I saw him one time. One time. And that was it. Just kind of like breathing. One time. Breathing I, we never really chopped up, though. Yeah, like, hey, how you doing, bro? What's good? How you doing? I'm yeah. coming, Ali. I'm saying what's good. You kept it moving. That yeah, just good. pretty much just stand it. What up? Keep it moving and not really no interaction yeah. or anything like that. All right. So uh, when you look back, you know, you've been with Big Ten and then to see that Mike laid the groundwork for what was to later come with what JD was doing in Atlanta with So So Deaf and what Puff was doing with Bad Boy and to see that Mike pretty much had the template for all of that. So what do you think about looking back in retrospect, the legacy of Biv 10? Well, Mike, well, honestly, like, honestly, bro, seeing all what you see now, it's a blessing, you know what I'm saying, to see like JD doing his thing, um, Jay-Z, Baby from Cash Money, um, Puff, they all doing it. They doing it big. But they never would have done it if Mike wasn't the first, if that if that makes any sense, Mike was the template. He was he was he you know he was the it factor at that time. If he didn't have the East Coast family, if he didn't have Boyz II Men, ABC, and Brains, none of the stuff that you see what's going on in the music industry right now would be even it wouldn't even exist. He Mike doesn't get his just due. He he don't get his just due. I don't think a lot of people give him his credit. You know. And it's so funny because like um, we just reconnected maybe like four or five years ago. And we've been kicking it ever since, you know what I'm saying? So like uh, we talk every other day. Um, he said the same thing I said to him, you know, God don't, God does everything for a reason. You know what I'm saying? For me to be back in his life and I'm back in his life, it's a purpose, you know what I'm saying? So um, that's my big brother, you know what I'm saying? I love him to death. And you know, I always tell him, man, I said, yo, you the reason that all this is going on right now, all of it, every last bit of it, you know, and I don't think a lot of people talk about him the way they should talk about him. And I'm not saying that because me and him are cool now, but I just think that his contribution for this industry is not celebrated enough. That's just my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. There'll be no Puffy, there'll be no Jay-Z, there will be no cash money. There will be no no limit if it wasn't for Michael Davis. Straight up. Right. So definitely, Straight let's up. give flowers where flowers need to be given. Michael Bivens, also the rest of any Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky, Ralph, and Johnny. Mike, I know you got a doc that's getting ready to drop. If you ever want to come on beyond the album cover, Mike, come on down. Come on down. You, you, got a, you got a spot, man. If ever you want to come on, I'm putting it out there in existence. So do no you have doubt. any projects that you're currently working on that should be coming out or is everything still kind of under wraps and you're just waiting for the ink to dry? Oh, actually, I'm working with some stuff. I'm working on some stuff right now. Um, matter of fact, I'm going out to Ohio next month to finish up some stuff with my boy Ty. Um, I, you know, I got some things in the works, you know what I'm saying, that um, about to jump on some projects. I'm keeping that kind of hush right now. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying less. I'm just working right now, bro. I'm working. Um, I'm just, you know, paying the bills, staying focused, and let God order my steps. But right now, you know what I'm saying? I got some good stuff that's about to come out real soon. Um, Mike and I are talking. You know what I'm saying? That's all I'm going to say. We'll leave it, as, leave, leave it there. And just going to 
We're going to see where the Lord takes me. That's all. We're going to see where God takes me. That's all I can tell you. All right. That's and all I can the, tell you. And when the ink dries on those other projects, you know you got a spot to come back anytime, bro. I appreciate that, my boy. I definitely appreciate you even thinking enough of me to um, even interview me. Um, what you're doing for artists like myself, you know, giving us a voice, that's a, that's, we need that. And I thank you for thinking enough of me to reach out to me, you know, just to share something, you know, if my story can help somebody or inspire somebody because of you, I'm thankful. So God bless you and thank you for that, bro. Yes. I really do appreciate it, man. And I, I best believe once I have everything done, I will definitely be reaching out to you, bro. Believe that. Yes, sir. Believe any, that. Yes, sir. And any shout outs you want to give before we conclude your interview and also plug your socials. Okay. I um, definitely want to give a shout out to my family, um, to my brother, to my boy, um, John Hallman, you know what I'm saying? My partner, Aunt Miller, my boy, Mike Bizzle, Drew Dixon. I love you to death. That's Via. My homeboy, um, Ty, you know, my, pro my musical partner, you know what I'm saying? I appreciate you. I love you so much. Um, to my church family, CBC, you know, Community Baptist, you know, to my pastor, um, and to Mike, Mike Bibb. You know what I'm saying? Bibb, I love you. Thank you for thank you for still being my big brother, you know, and to the rest of the world out there, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. Be ready, because it's coming to a city near you. Believe that. Believe you. Yeah, Believe me he, when I tell you that. Yeah, he's going to bring that heat. And you can catch this interview on all streaming platforms and on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash beyond the album cover. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give a big salute, round of applause to Mr. Voice, Kali. Kali, thank you so very much for coming on, bro. I appreciate you, man. Like I said, best be ready. Best be ready because I'm coming. I'm coming. I got some stuff coming out real soon. And again, thank you Thank you for even taking the time to speak to me, man. I really do appreciate that. God bless you. I definitely yes, do appreciate it. Yes, sir.